0: Investment Management. And also Nick Marrow, lead for global trade at the Economist Intelligence Unit. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Let's take a final look at the markets Uh, for this morning. In Australia, first of all, the ASX 200 right now is up about one-third of a percent. Uh, In Japan, the Nikkei 225 is moving further ahead. It's up about uh, 1.4 percent right now. Cosby in South Korea, also up a third of a percent. Here in Hong Kong, looks like the Hang Seng is going to open about 40 or 50 points lower in an hour's time. Thank you very much for listening. I'll be back tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock. Do please join me then. Back chats coming up after the news with Jim Gould and Ada Wong. The weather forecast, mainly cloudy and a few showers, bright periods during the day, uh, the maximum temperature going to be about 24 degrees and then warm during the day with gradually improving weather in the next few days. Temperature right now is 22 degrees and it's 86% relative humidity. And the time is 8.31. Here's Todd Harding with the half-hour news. Developing countries have urged richer nations to provide financial support to combat the effects of climate change on the first day of the COP27 summit in Egypt. Small island countries have called for a mechanism for immediate funding following a climate-related disaster. The BBC's Matt McGrath reports.
1: After 30 years of pleading the case, all countries have finally accepted at this meeting that a formal discussion needs to be had on a financial fund for loss and damage. Germany has proposed a global insurance-based system. Small island states want a new long-term fund operated by the UN that would release money immediately after a disaster. Big questions remain. Would scientists have to investigate a storm or flood and decide how much of it was down to historic emissions of carbon? What value would you place on the beaches of a country like Jamaica or the cultural loss of ice for Arctic peoples?
0: A final day of campaigning has been taking place in the United States ahead of midterm elections that will decide the future of President Biden's legislative agenda. Republicans are hoping to take control of both houses of Congress. Here's the BBC's Robin Brandt. Tomorrow's elections will be crucial for the second half of the Biden administration, a possible Trump presidential revival, and maybe the US commitment to continue defending Ukraine. The world's richest man believes Americans should vote Republican. Fresh from buying Twitter, Elon Musk used his social media platform to advocate for power sharing. The Tesla founder addressed what he called independent-minded voters. He said he recommended voting for a Republican Congress, given that the 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 presidency is democratic. And the US Justice Department has revealed that it seized more than 3 billion US dollars worth of Bitcoin last year that had been stolen from an illegal drugs marketplace. The cryptocurrency hoard was found on various electronic devices in the Georgia home of a hacker. James Jong pleaded guilty on Friday to stealing the funds a decade ago from the dark website Silk Road. He faces up to 20 years in jail. At the time, it was the biggest cryptocurrency seizure by the authorities in US history. You're listening to the news on RTHK.
2: Good morning and welcome to Backchat. I'm Jim Gould and your guest presenter today is Ada Wong. Good morning, Ada. Good morning, Jim. On today's programme, we're talking about the United Nations Climate Summit, which began on Sunday in Egypt. For the next two weeks, more than 120 global leaders are gathering for the COP27, with the aim of making progress on climate action, although the meeting is taking place amid a number of global crises and fears of a worldwide recession. According to the latest UN report, the past eight years have been the warmest on record and the average global temperature has already climbed by 1.2 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels. After 9.15, we'll look at the reopening of uh, Hong Kong's uh, Sikh temple after a $230 million renovation. Let us know what you think. Join the conversation. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. Email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call on 233 266. And our guests for the main part of our topic this morning. Uh, we have with us in our studio here Chong Chan Yao, who's a co-founder and CEO of Carbon Care Innolab and a member of the board of uh, directors of Climate Finance Asia. On the line, we have uh, Professor Christine Low, who's a chief development strategist at uh, the Hong Kong University of Science and Technology and former undersecretary for the environment and legislator. And we're also hoping to have. Uh, we do have. Uh, Paul Harris, uh, Chair Professor of Global and Environmental Studies at the Education University. Uh, good morning to you all. Uh, perhaps, uh, uh, Mr Chong, if we can uh, ask you first. So, um, the, the climate meeting is an annual event, but there is really a feeling now that time is running out for us. Uh, uh, what can we expect from this uh, Conference of the Parties number 27?
3: Uh, thank you for inviting me. Good morning. Um, Well, uh, there is a lot of um, expectations that this conference should uh, achieve progress, but um, we know that there are many obstacles. For example, the uh, commitment to reduce carbon uh, seems to be lacking, so there is a likelihood to overshoot the 1.5 degree target agreed in Paris. And then there is an issue about loss and damage which has been put onto the agenda. And now uh, we are not sure that things will progress. So this would be a main, uh, several key points. So um, maybe I I stop here. There Mm. there is a lot, definitely a lot of expectations.
2: Sure, sure. sure. Do you feel that uh, the um, current uh, global situation with uh, uh, the war in Ukraine, um, uh, geopolitical tensions are going to limit what can be achieved from this conference?
3: Um, Definitely. But on on the other hand, we should not uh, let go of the opportunities because there are uh, many that the disaster will be even greater than a war if we don't do anything right now. So uh, while there are difficulties, it is time for the governments to take leaderships and then we channel resources to develop renewable energy, to rethink about our economic systems, and lifestyles so while, while there is a threat there is also an opportunity mm.
4: So I, I note that in the news uh, um, you know, activist Greta Thunberg says uh, decision, I mean she does not want to go to Egypt this year And um, but you have sent um, you know you have uh, nurtured and facilitated a number of Hong Kong young people to go to COP27 can you tell us more?
3: Oh, oh yes, uh, thank you um, I have been in uh, COP since um, 2007. I think um, both uh, Ada and Christine and myself were in uh, Copenhagen. Um, We always want Hong Kong young people to have a global mindset. Uh, So Hong Kong is an international city and we shouldn't uh, just see ourselves as uh, related to the world in finance, tourism, trade, and all the rest. Uh, global citizenship, our responsibility. We are facing the same crisis. So while Greta has been in leadership for some years and will continue to be, many of our young people are still parochial uh, in outlook. So... Uh, uh, we think that it is very important for them to go out and connect with the various of the youth uh, movement and to learn about what is being done in some of the countries, and also to contribute their voice to calling for uh, climate justice.
2: Okay, uh, Christine Lowe, good morning to you. Good morning. Thanks very much for joining us. Um, So, there is obviously a pressing need uh, to reduce uh, emissions of greenhouse gases globally. There uh, are various targets, including uh, uh, in Hong Kong. The government uh, has has uh, a target to reduce uh, emissions. And yet, um, around the world, uh, we're really not doing very well, right? Uh, The uh, United Nations report and the World Meteorological Association uh, showed that uh, carbon and methane emissions hit record levels in 2021. I mean, what hopes do you have for progress uh, from this meeting?
5: Well, maybe I can pick up a point by Zhang Um You know, the situation is not good if we're juxtaposing it, as you have, with what the science is telling us. But in such a situation when we really need everybody in the world to pitch in and pitch in in a massive way, we have to manage our pessimism. Um, As Zhang Chenyao said, you know, we still need to continue to do what we can. So I think on the multilateral level, uh, there will be things that uh, will be articulated that we can all join in and expand. So, for example, this is also uh, an Africa COP. This is also one where the title of the uh, event is about implementation. So if we were also to look at China, which is one of the most influential uh, country at COPs, uh, we can say that, you know, China banging on the table basically to say, look, I have put forward uh, my implementation plan at the last COP. And this year it's really important that we have governments put their plans on the table. So I think uh, for uh, NGOs and businesses and others one of the things that is important is for people to go back home and really ask their government, what plans do you have? And, you know, if you're going to put forward plans, can we have some time, timelines and targets? So I think that will be the result of this COP. Um, so as I said, we need to manage our pessimism. Uh, and likewise, in Hong Kong, uh, we need to continue to ask the government for more specifics.
2: When you say manage our pessimism, how how much room for optimism is there?
5: Well, you know, when times are good uh, with, uh, perhaps not climate change, but other things, we need to manage our optimism as well, because after COP26, the world was a bit more optimistic because people, uh, as governments around the world, have agreed on some major things. Uh, But who would have guessed that we now have a war in Europe uh, and we have other factors that are uh, diverting us away from some of the gains from COP26. So that's why we have to manage both our optimism and our pessimism. And as Zhang Yao said, you know, we don't really have a choice. We need to keep going. And uh, I think I've said this on your program before. Um, move the deck
4: chairs on the titanic because not everybody died Um, uh, christine uh, on on the issue of climate finance um, what the poorer countries are looking for is not just implementation plan but um, money Uh, where is the money and uh, i think the richer countries have not uh, lived up to their pledges to provide the money for climate finance Um, what do you think of that
5: Oh, I think that's absolutely true. Um, uh, It's probably unlikely we're going to see the rich countries um, put their hands in their pocket this time and put the money on the table. And we are talking about big sums of money, 100 billion a year. Uh, And I think up until now, we only have maybe around $80 billion. So I think what we really need to do is perhaps start a new conversation in the world. And green finance is the big thing. Um, I think we need to say that investments, the rate of return for a lot of investments of existing technology, which we need to apply actually all over the world, and we need to build infrastructure to defend against extreme and severe weather, the adaptation side of climate change, that people cannot uh, look for the same kind of rate of return. Uh, and perhaps some projects, uh, like basic uh, infrastructure. Uh, we need to really get on with doing that, but we don't have the intellectual, we're not having the intellectual discussion about the investment of money and the expected rate of return for different types of infrastructure that the world really needs, and it's not just in the developing world. In many uh, developed societies, they're not also investing enough. Uh, in uh,
2: many types of infrastructure. Mm. Uh, okay, well, also with well, us is Paul Harris, uh, Chair Professor of Global and Environmental Studies at Education University. Good morning to you. Good morning. Thanks for joining us. Uh, um, so do you agree with uh, what Christine Lowe was saying just there? We need uh, uh, more focus, more discussion on, uh, on investment and, and use of investment in, in green finance.
6: The short answer is uh, yes. Uh, more is needed, but I, I, I would characterize the, the, the comments so far this morning as, as, um, incredibly optimistic. And I know they don't sound that way, but given the scale of the problem, I think they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, with respect to financing, as as Lowe points out, pledges have been made uh, uh, to provide developing countries with uh, 100. Billion—that's with a B—per uh, year by 2020. They haven't done that. They've managed about half of that. If you use the accounting methods that the funders prefer, which which lumps in existing uh, funding uh, for climate ch- for other issues into uh, climate change, so we're just nowhere near the 100 billion. And what is actually needed uh, by developing countries, according to a recent analysis, is two trillion dollars. Per year with a t two trillion so orders of magnitude here more are needed uh, by 2030 and uh, we're not even meeting the paltry pledges that have um, been made so far so when it comes to funding um, it hasn't even begun and that is for um, adaptation when it comes to so-called loss and damage for the actual suffering that is being experienced uh, on a day-to-day year-to-year basis by developing countries There's been no progress at all. Um, Now, if we look at this problem sort of more broadly, uh, you know, bear in mind that this is COP 27. Uh, uh, This is a conference of the parties to the Framework Convention on Climate Change, which was agreed in 1992 at the so-called Earth Summit. COP 1 was in 1995, so we've had 26 between Mm -hmm. – this is the 27th COP. Uh, Global emissions of carbon dioxide in 1995 at COP1 were about 23 billion metric tons per year. Now, they are about 34 billion metric tons. So uh, the, the, the international process, the efforts to take the first step of stabilizing emissions and then starting to bring emissions down uh, has utterly failed completely over three decades of negotiations. Uh, and much of the damage is being done right now. So um, since uh, the Industrial Revolution began, so we can date that to about the middle of the 18th century,
1: yeah. <clears throat> um,
6: about half of emissions of the entire period since 1750 to today have been emitted in the last 30 years. So during that process of trying to get emissions down, half of all human missions since seventeen fifty have occurred. So the process has has failed utterly. Now, you know, we can get into the details of why that has happened, why Hong Kong has failed so utterly, you know, Christine Lowe is the most qualified to tell us, you know, the internal processes that in government that prevent prevent more action. But you know, we've already had one point two degrees of global warming even if all the Paris uh, pledges are implemented, we're, we're going to have more than three degrees of warming. But those pledges won't be implemented. Uh, there's 100 leaders now at um, in Sharm El Sheikh, uh, but uh, Xi Jinping is not one of them. And, 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 you know, that suggests that China doesn't take this issue very seriously. Yet um, 25 to 30 percent of global emissions causing this problem uh, are from China. So there really is very little prospect of of, of uh, progress
2: is uh, is part of the problem uh, uh, global um, tensions um geopolitical tensions instability obviously relations between the united states and china uh, are not very good at the moment is that is is that going to uh, limit what can be done in terms of um you know getting a agreement among the world's uh, uh, major polluters to uh, uh, to you know to to limit emissions and and try to make some progress
6: yeah, again the short answer is yes uh, th- there's always something right there's always you know one year there's a global uh, economic downturn the next year there's a war the next year it's uh, bilateral tensions there's always some- there's always something right and and china as we know is is held you know, the climate change cooperation with the United States, the second largest emitter, um, Mm. uh, hostage to, you know, cooperation on Taiwan and other issues. They blatantly said there will be no cooperation on uh, climate until the United States gives in to China's demands on Taiwan. So um, I recognize the importance of Taiwan for for Beijing, but, um, you know, the rest of the world recognizes that there are more important things, and if the largest emitter is you know, just is just going to be a crybaby whenever somebody mentions the word Taiwan and 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 you know, put the world hostage to Beijing's preferences on that one particular issue, then you can see again where there really isn't much hope. But yeah, you know, there I don't want to deny that there has been progress. So things would be worse had governments not been trying to address this problem. So Uh, you know, the prospect for uh, global warming, you know, at the end of this century would be much worse not had the work that people and and industries and governments around the world are now doing hadn't hadn't occurred. But, you know, uh, achieving 1.5 degrees of, you know, limiting global warming to 1.5 is impossible. And I think anybody that suggests otherwise uh, simply isn't living in
2: the real world. So Chong Shannya how can, how can this process be reversed? <clears throat>
3: well, I think um <clears throat> Paul is right to highlight the difficulty i think um, we did, we didn't do do that at the beginning so think uh, so he he's, he's right to point out the huge obstacle in front of us and the uh, uh, tremendous <clears throat> Uh, difficulties we have to uh, uh, overcome, achieve uh, the government leadership. Now, um, but as uh, NGO people, as people from civil society, uh, as uh, people who contact young people on a daily basis, we don't want to give them despair. Well, we have no room for despair. We We just have to fight on so, um, if we cannot achieve 1.5 degree, 1.6 is still good, or 1.7, or whatever, that is better than now. Um, because we know that it means a huge number of people's uh, life, livelihood, uh, there will be p- uh, uh, loss of, um habitat loss of um people's homes uh, islands will be flooded and drought uh, food shortage will come into play and it will happen very soon and it is happening now Uh, so the horn of africa there are uh, is now the fifth rainy season that has no rain and while in pakistan one third of the country is being drowned so, so, these things are happening in front of us, so we have to bring them to the world leaders. They have got to bear the responsibility uh, of making a mess of the world um, and then, and there is certainly a possibility of change, and we cannot just say uh, we, we we cannot um, stay pessimistic that that that's the message, yeah.
4: Um, Chen, Chen Yao, in Hong Kong, as you said, uh, mm. sometimes we're quite parochial, and yeah. uh, the fact that Pakistan has the worst flood ever, I don't think that's, uh, you know, that's something uh, the young people talk mm. about in schools, in universities. Uh, how, how could we get um, young people in Hong Kong more aware of this very, very urgent situation?
3: Well, um, for... NGOs like us and like many that you are in contact with, um, we do a bit, um, and then the government need to do more. Uh, uh, and you see, we uh, uh, the government has done has um, has done well to put on the roadmap uh, the carbon neutrality by 2050. But there is not enough effort in implementations. And um, uh, recently, I mean, the case of Miu um, Miu shows that the government is entirely powerless. So the uh, recycle economy issue has been reduced to an issue of rental dispute or rent, uh, lease dispute. So it 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 just shows that so many young people are. Tend to say, well, we want to do something, but uh, you tell them that no, we have a, we have some other considerations, like where <laughs> lease, <laughs> uh, and so I, I think this is just a case. So, so the government has to lead by showing us. For example, there has been a chance in the last um, last week's um, global summit to talk more about green financing. Sustainable finance, mm. how Hong Kong can mm. contribute, but that was not the message. The message was come and earn more money so 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 the government needs to build into the its own policies uh, and messaging that mm. is so important that we are mm. concerned about the world and we can make a contribution to uh, I have even a wild idea that however financial difficulty we may have in this city. We still, is a city of wealth. We can still make a contribution to the Global Climate Fund. Uh, 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 And that shows Hong Kong on the world map. And then that would pass a message to the young people. Mm -hmm. So yes, education, Mm -hmm. we have to do a lot. um, And policy, we have to do a lot. And also, Private sector. Maybe I can leave that one okay. for other commentators.
2: Sure. Okay. Okay. Just, just for the benefit of our listeners who may not be aware, so uh, Miu Miu, that's the uh, the drinks recycling uh, operation which uh, uh, ran into a problem with its uh, uh, rental agreement. And um, um, uh, Christine Lo, because uh, I know you're just with us until nine o'clock. Um, could I ask you about uh, Hong Kong's targets? Um, I mean, uh, as uh, Chong Chang Yao mentioned there, carbon neutrality by 2050, a a 50% reduction by 2035. Is that achievable?
5: Um, I think what we need in Hong Kong is a um, clearer roadmap as to how we save energy in terms of decarbonization. Um, We are also having the government come to a HKUST event on the 10th of December, to lay out in a more comprehensive way how they're going to deal with adaptation planning. Mm. So I think in Hong Kong, what we need is both uh, decarbonization and adaptation. Mm. Um, On mitigation, the government is hoping to really buy much more clean power from uh, the mainland uh, beyond 2035. And that is their, I think, major task. But that power, that that energy might cost a lot more money. Uh, And what we really need to do in Hong Kong is to go gangbusters on energy efficiency. And obviously, I think we will all agree we need to focus on making our buildings uh, the way we live, right? You know, you and I, how we use energy, as well as retrofitting our existing buildings to operate at a much more energy and water efficient level. This requires the uh, amendment and revision of standards uh, uh, for buildings and related areas. Uh, For some reason, this is an area the government has yet to really make those revisions. I mean, you know, it's not rocket science, Um, but I think in Hong Kong, it'll be very useful for us to target on the areas which are doable with existing technology. Uh, I think if we can rouse up people in Hong Kong Uh, including the business sector, including the property area, including people in the built environment area who knows what to do. And we do have property developers in Hong Kong who are developing and building better buildings outside uh, of the territory to do so, because in other places, the standards are higher. So um, uh, you see why we need to manage our pessimism, but actually the optimism is there are things that we can do in Hong Kong If we can get the public sector, meaning the government Mm -hmm. and the private sector and the community to discuss and get on with it.
2: Okay, All right. Well, thanks very much uh, for speaking to us on the programme this morning. Uh, That was uh, Christine Lowe, Chief Development Strategist at Hong Kong University of Science and Technology and former Undersecretary for the Environment. Uh, uh, Other guests, uh, uh, please uh, stick with us. We're going to take a short break for the news summary at nine o'clock. We'll be back at three minutes past. uh, A quick look at the weather, Uh, mainly cloudy with a few showers today. Uh, Bright periods, uh, top temperature around 24 degrees. The outlook warm during the day with gradually improving weather in the next few days. It's currently 22 degrees, humidity 82%. To
0: the news on RTHK.
2: And welcome back to Back Chat with uh, Ada Wong and me, Jim Gould. And this morning, we're talking about the uh, the UN. Climate Change uh, Summit, which is taking place currently in Egypt, the COP27, Conference of the Parties number 27. Um, We have uh, with us uh, in our studio Chong Chang Yao, who's uh, co-founder and CEO of Carbon Care InnoLab, and a member of the Board of uh, Climate Finance Asia. And also on the line, uh, Paul Harris, Chair Professor of Global and Environmental Studies at uh, the Education University. Um, Just uh, uh, resuming uh, where we were uh, leaving off before, um, well, we were talking about what can be done, um, what we should be focusing on, uh, uh, levels of uh, optimism and pessimism in all this. Uh, uh, Paul Harris, you were giving us some fairly stark figures about uh, uh, 23 billion metric tonnes in the 1990s, 34 billion metric tonnes being released uh, now. Um, Can you see any way that this process can be reversed?
6: I noted earlier and I think uh, the other speakers have, have mentioned you know things are being done and I, and I think and I think it is a valid point that uh, we want to try to limit uh, global warming and other uh, aspects of climate change as much as possible but I think we need to accept and recognize that you know with more it's more than a climate crisis now yesterday the United Nations Secretary General Antonio Guterres said, "That uh, I think I'm quoting here: We are on a highway to climate hell, mm. <laughs> and, he sa- and he says we have our foot on the accelerator. Yep. And I think this characterizes the situation. This isn't Greta Thunberg, the activist, who would say something identical. You know, this is the head of the of the United Nations. You know, who has probably the best perspective on the failure of nation states." and other actors to deal with this problem yeah. the, you know the climate scientists who were relatively silent for a couple of decades uh, and now are more outspoken um, are, are now absolutely forlorn because they they even they are surprised by the impacts that they're seeing around the world I think the impacts that are being felt even now are the types of impacts that they expected would be felt much later in this century in, in a worst-case scenario. Uh, so, and, and, and I think they are the, the ones that are most pessimistic now, and increasingly they recognize that you know, while there are techn- technological and engineering uh, uh, solutions to this problem, when it, when it comes to the politics of the issue, when it comes to societies, I mean, we can't even get people to stop eating meat, for example. You know, two things that have to be all but eliminated on this planet are the burning of coal and the consumption of most uh, uh, livestock, uh, you know, that are reared in in large quantities. Uh, But that simply isn't happening. You know, in in China, for example, uh, coal uh, production and consumption burning is increasing, not decreasing, Mm. Right. So right now we're we're sort of on on the road if all the governments do what they say they're going to do uh by uh 20 by, by the end of this decade when we when emissions have to fall roughly half according to the scientists to stay within the 1.5 to 2 degree, 2 degree limits that we're aiming for um, what we're actually going to achieve is something on the order of three percent mm. you know china uh, india has said that it will peak its emissions in 2070, excuse me, reach its carbon neutrality in 2070. China is saying they'll reach carbon neutrality in 2060. Most of the developed world is saying 2050. Uh, Even now, China is saying that emissions will continue to increase until 2030. Mm. That's when emissions... So you can see the trajectory everywhere is is going in the wrong direction. Mm. Now, I think that will reverse we're getting you know predictions from the international energy agency and others that we're eventually going to reach a peak in emissions perhaps fairly soon in the next 5 years but even then we're only reaching this peak and and unless emissions drop precipitously very 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 quickly then then Climate catastrophe. will, I, I can't think of a better word, but uh, you know, climate hell is the way Antonio Guterres describes it. Yeah. Uh, and, and we know that we're not. There's no immunity. You know, developed countries are now feeling it just as much as developing countries. Although, of course, they have more. Capability. So, um,
4: so um, uh, everybody's feeling it, and and uh, the Economist uh, says that uh, we should say goodbye to 1.5. Degrees and Chong Yao just said if 1.5 is no longer the target, then 1.6, 1.7. Um, are the countries in Egypt now uh, pretty much aware of this? And do you think a new target would be set, Professor uh, Harris? No, uh,
6: no, no. There, 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 uh, there will be no new target set. Absolutely not, uh, as far as temperature increases. But just to clarify, you know, we're on track now for you know three degrees more or warming. So you look around the world and see all the things that have been happening. The Pakistan floods, just mm. one one example. That's just from 1.1, 1.2 degrees of warming. Mm. So, so the, the the impacts of two degrees, two and a half degrees, three degrees. Uh, I personally think it's impossible to achieve two degrees. Um, from again, it's not technologically impossible necessarily, it, but it is, I think, politically impossible mm. because countries. You know, look what's happening in the Ukraine war right now. Do you, do you think Russia, one of the large emit- emitters is, which, which, whose economy and government relies utterly on the, the production and, and, and sale of fossil fuels, is going to somehow reverse that? Of course not.
2: Mm-hmm. Chen Yao, the uh, UN Secretary General, Antonio Guterres, also said uh, we either have a, a climate uh, a, a climate deal or a, a mutual suicide pact. I mean, these are very, very strong words that he was using, weren't they? And, and uh, as uh, as Paul Harris said, there, you know, we're on the on the road to climate hell with our foot on the accelerator. I mean, I mean, are these statements strong enough to make a difference?
3: Um, well, let's see, uh, because uh, it's very good for. Um the leaders to make uh, very bold, attractive uh, statements in conferences, in COPs, and, and didn't follow up with action when they're home. So um, while these are very good warning, uh, but the, you, you don't need these words. You, you, you look at the news, and you know the trial in Africa, uh, nearby uh, Egypt, you know, uh, Somalia, uh, Ethiopia, they're all suffering now. On at, at this moment, so um, so I I I think the uh, civil society uh, we still hope that uh, the citizens' voice will have an impact on the government and business as well. So um, I think uh, last year in Glasgow, the uh, business come together and form an alliance for net zero, and hope that they follow up. But unfortunately, we are hearing that some of them are already revising down their target of uh, a net zero commitment on the business side. but as we said we, we are we are not pessimistic. there is no room on uh, pessimism. so we just have to keep on calling, fighting, uh, uh, demanding and also making proposals uh, as well so finding new solutions that's that's a very important thing
2: okay i have an email here from a listener peter who uh says uh, maybe your guest at uh, paul harris can comment on the biggest impediment to combat climate change the united states although the us has uh, rejoined the paris agreement little has changed in climate policy actually things have become worse the doom of the climate change regime was sealed when the United States refused to ratify the Kyoto Protocol in 1998. It was double doomed when the US under Barack Obama imposed a successor regime that eliminated legally binding caps for anyone. It was triple doomed when Donald Trump withdrew from the Paris Agreement. It's quite a long email but Peter then uh, goes on to say uh, near the end, uh, uh, the US military has been purposefully omitted from the IPPC climate targets in 2021 by Biden signed an executive order exempting anything related to national security, combat intelligence or military from the U.S. net zero emission targets. Meanwhile, China is on track to achieve its pledge to achieve carbon neutrality before 2060, which is largely consistent with the Paris Agreement's aim of limiting global warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius. Uh, Paul Harris, would you care to uh, comment on that?
6: Uh, I would agree with uh, everything that was said about the United States. Mm. Uh, I, th- I think uh, I, I really don't have anything to add to that. Um, mm. I, I think the, the comments on China are, are divorced from of reality. Mm. To, to think that China can continue uh, em- uh, emitting for another eight years and then take its time to reduce emissions by 2060 uh, and still have any hope whatsoever of achieving um, the Paris objectives is, is, is an absurdity. But, but I think that the, but the way that the, the comment is characterized, I think, helps explain the difficulty of dealing with this problem, because, you know, for many people, it will be this, you know, blame the United States, China, China is the savior, or, or the other way around, China is the enemy, the United States is the savior. Um, or both of those countries are the enemies. So what it all really boils down to and has consistently decade after decade, is that individual um, uh, governments and countries focus on their very narrow, short-term, perceived national interests, and those never, in almost 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 never, with the exception of a few low-lying countries and uh, and island states that are, that face an existential danger from climate change, always there's something more important. Normally, of course, it is associated with economic development, more specifically economic growth, uh, which gets us back to this comment about the role of businesses. I think that anybody that thinks that any kind of a solution can be found in in businesses, uh, again, is is um, f- far too optimistic <laughs> uh, when, in fact, uh, you know the businesses are, are directly and indirectly what got us into this problem to begin with. We're, we're all very selfish. We are, as individuals, behave selfishly. We like to think that we're altruistic, but we're not. We behave selfishly. We behave on a day-to-day basis in ways that contribute to this problem. Communities do likewise. Businesses do likewise. Um, uh, regions and countries do likewise and the trends are all in in the wrong direction still, and as I suggested before, when those trends are ultimately reversed, and hopefully that will, on a global scale, be fairly soon, it won't be enough. Even when emissions start to fall, they're not going to fall nearly enough to um, avert the most catastrophic impacts. We've got to be prepared for this um, uh, this, uh, catastrophe, this mutual suicide pact,
3: Um, we're going to lose the game of chicken. So can I come in uh, for the final comment on another aspect of climate change? Um, This is called adaptation. So if we cannot change anything, we at least have to protect the vulnerable communities. So it's not worldwide, we know the islanders and so on. But in Hong Kong, we do have those, um, those who live in um, petition housing, those disabled persons in time of disasters, and those people who work uh, in outdoor settings. So how to protect them uh, in an increasingly warming uh, environment. So that's part of the uh, adaptation plan But unfortunately, right now in government's roadmap, this uh, is not featuring. So uh, going forward, I hope that uh, the government will also take adaptation seriously. And this is also an agenda that um, people in um, Sharm of Sheikh uh, will be addressing over the next two weeks, Mm -hmm. how to uh, achieve climate justice Uh, achieve a just transition to a low carbon economy and same message for Hong Kong as well.
2: Okay, well, let's hope something uh, positive comes out of it. Uh, thank you very much uh, to both of you for uh, joining us uh, on the program this morning. Uh, that was uh, Chong Chang Yao, uh, co-founder and CEO of uh, Carbon Care InnoLab and a member of the Board of uh, Directors of Climate Finance Asia. And thanks very much to Paul Harris, Chair Professor of Global and Environmental Studies at the Education University of Hong Kong. And before nine o'clock, we heard from Christine Lowe, Chief Development Strategist at uh, Hong Kong University of Science and Technology and former Under-Secretary for the Environment and former Legislator. For the last uh, 10 minutes or so of this morning's programme, we're going to turn our attention to uh, a different topic. Um, When we get our guests, that is. Um, We're going to be talking about the renovation of the Sikh temple in Wan Chai. Um, You may have uh, seen uh, in the newspapers, you may have heard on our radio, on RTHK Radio in Hong Kong Today this morning and last night, um, a very nice feature about the renovation. Um, It cost uh, more than $200 million, $230 million, uh, a five-year building project to uh, rebuild the Sikh temple, which has stood on the site since um, I think I think the year 1901. Actually, um, it's been a, a long time. Uh, Ada, uh, it was rebuilt uh, apparently um, after the Second World War because uh, it was damaged uh, during the Japanese invasion. Um, It's quite a a sort of iconic-type building there, right, on the corner of Queen's Road East and and Stubbs Stubbs Road. Road. That's right, that's right. I actually live quite
4: close to that area, Mm -hmm. and um, so every time I go past it, I see the Sikh temple, and uh, it's a very nice, uh, but, well, so sort of like a one-storey uh, building, and I never knew that they had such a big site until several years ago um, mm. that there was the hoarding, and then suddenly I saw a big building uh, coming up, and I thought they must have sold the piece of land to to somebody else, and so, so that, um, you know, normally, you know, churches um, elsewhere would uh, cooperate with uh, property developers uh, so that, you know, let's say they build 25 stories uh, and but the ground floor remains a church, you know, but um, but it was not the case for the Sikh temple, and um, so now, uh, you know, after the hoarding, you know, it um, it became a really uh, magnificent
2: building. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, yeah. I, I think uh, yeah. Uh, several floors have been added as well, so it's. Uh, it, yes, it's it now is, three
4: stories, yeah. I think. Yeah. yeah, we can ask yeah. our
2: guests. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. I think uh, I think uh, we have uh, on the line. A couple of guests uh, joining us. We have uh, uh, Baljinder Singh, who's uh, part of the uh, technical team of the building committee for the renovation of the cathedral, and also Deep Singh, who's uh, a member of the uh, temple, the uh, Khalsa Diwan Sikh temple. Uh, Good morning to you both. Good morning, sir. Good morning, sir. Good morning. Thanks thank, thanks thanks very much uh, for joining us. Uh yes, so so my pleasure. so um so uh, is that um is that uh, Baljinder Singh or Deep Singh who we're we talking to at the moment? Uh, I'm Baljinder okay. Singh. Okay, Baljinder. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so um the the temple's reopening today after uh, quite a, a lengthy uh, renovation project. Um so how is the community feeling this morning?
1: Actually, from the very beginning, uh, when we started our planning, it was in 2014 uh, that the management committee approved our renovation. And after that, uh, we keep on uh, uh, doing all the stuff and then finding contractors. And we we'll begin almost six years ago officially for contracts, all the other things. And today, we are officially opening it. Yeah, mm. it's a long, long period.
2: And the renovation has all been paid for from uh, donations uh, from within the community. Is that right?
1: Yes, all hmm. the donation is from within the community. That's the sole donation. Yeah, we don't have other donation. It's all the community alone. Hmm. Our uh, Mr. Harry Singh Banga alone, he donated fifty million Hong Kong dollar right. alone. Right. And right. And wow. all other community members did their best, whatever they can. Because this Gurdwara uh, is for the whole community, for the whole mankind. Right. Everybody's right. welcome right. to donate, everybody's welcome right. to come here. Right. Right. It's for the whole community.
2: Mm. Harry Singh Bangar, he's, he's the chairman of the Caravelle Group, the shipping group, isn't he? Yeah. Yes, <laughs> yes. yes, 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 yeah, yeah, Good. Yeah, y- yes, uh, that's a very important point that you make, yeah, it's. Uh, it is for the whole community, uh, uh, obviously it's the Sikh uh, place of worship, but uh, there are several important factors like for instance the kitchen, I know you've expanded the kitchen and really any anybody who, uh, who wants to go in and, uh, and have some food and have a meal is, uh, is welcome.
1: Yes, actually uh, Sikh philosophy, uh, we are open to all human beings, it's for all mankind, So. Previously, our kitchen cannot accommodate uh, uh, such a large number of devotees coming here on special occasions. So with that in our minds, uh, we build a very uh, utilizing the whole space we have. We build a larger divan Hall, we build a larger community kitchen, our dining hall, longer hall, so that people from not just the community, but the whole mankind, Hong Kong, chinese other nations they are all welcome and we if you have time you can come and see by your own eyes that we have people from all around of the community coming here because in Sikhism, all mankind are equal we sit together we eat together and we pray on the same level so this is a message to the whole community that everyone It's welcome here,
4: right? And and before the renovation, you you weren't able to do that because you had a smaller kitchen and a smaller facility. But uh, back then, did you also welcome other Hong Kong people in uh, to the dining hall?
1: Everyone, no matter what your race, religion, color, there's no discrimination in the kitchen. We are welcome everybody in Hong Kong to come here, but we have a bit uh, uh, few restrictions here that. When you go to our kitchen, you can uh, volunteer, you can eat, but you must cover your hair and do not bring in alcohol or any kind of tobacco. So if you have to enter our kitchen you have to, and our dining hall, you have to take off your shoes and socks. And if you have to enter our main divan hall, where our Guru sad Holy Scripture is there, you have to cover your hair, uh, wash your feet and take off your shoes. That's the only main restriction. Apart from that, everybody is welcome here.
4: Yeah, uh, and, and I noticed that uh, you have added social elements uh, into this um, uh, new Sikh temple. Can you tell us about that? I think there's a library and there are you know, programs for your community?
1: Yes, the digital library, which uh, is a very large library. We have Instagram uh, donated for that. Uh, the main purpose is to give a message and give opportunity for the younger generation so that when they come to the Gurdwara side, they can learn more about not just our own religion or other things. They have, uh, we have uh, hired other teachers here who will teach them all kind of stuff. So we give them the opportunity to come here sit together and find a very large database of information that they need here regarding the Sikh community, our Sikh religion, or other information that is useful to them. We encourage young people to come here.
2: (laughs) And you'll also be offering uh, other services as well, Uh, I believe, uh, some uh, uh, medical consultations.
1: Yes, uh, we have volunteer doctors here. Yes, uh, they will uh, come here uh, to serve the community. So on our Sundays or other occasions when the larger gathering is here, our doctors, our sick doctor, uh, he or other doctors, we have few. They will come here, do voluntary service, and they can help people who are in need to give them immediate advice. Uh, but not prescription, we will give them to buy outside. But they will consult, give you advice. So it will help the community who are in need. Mm.
4: Okay. Has there always been a problem like in communication uh, between, um, um, you know, the uh, uh, your community in Hong Kong and also our public health system? Has that always been a problem?
1: Uh, actually, uh, the government is doing a lot, uh, especially in the translation service or other service, and it's ongoing process. Whenever we found uh, or have any difficulty. The government is listening we are uh, currently in good communication with them whenever there's the need arising we approach them and they try their very best to uh, entertain us so the communication now is very good uh, we are maintaining it and hope in the future if we have any other issues we can raise to them and they're willing to listen
4: yeah but your medical team on site at the sick temple um they can't prescribe medicine or can they
1: uh Actually, uh, this uh, detailed question, uh, uh, I may not in that detail because the doctor, I don't know about his, uh, whether he can or not. So in detail, I think we have to ask our doctor who will be on duty that time. <laughs>
2: right. Mm. And I notice also that you'll be offering uh, language lessons, uh, not only in Punjabi, but also in Cantonese.
1: Yes, uh, actually we, are, we will be inviting uh, uh, NGOs to come here, give us uh, other Chinese classes or other classes that the community needs. Not just uh, uh, learning, uh, we will have uh, some taekwondo or karate, something like that. Because we have a bigger place now here, we can accommodate uh, a lot of activities. But we are doing our very best to offer what we can, uh, the community needs. Uh, so it's an ongoing process we will keep modifying when uh, something arises that the community needs some classes of course we will approach the ngos or other people who can try to come here and teach our kids or other kids from any community
4: so now you you have a bigger floor area i think it's much bigger than um, the temple before right yes
1: yeah, uh, much much bigger you, you have uh, yeah. yeah please yeah. Before we are uh, having problem regarding our parking. Also now, by God's grace, of course, we have a parking, this on the lower floor, uh, and then on the upper floor we have a bigger yard, sitting area, sitting rooms, and then we have a larger community kitchen, and we have a larger divan hall. That now at this moment, I think the community is very happy with the new building.
4: Yeah, do you foresee any challenges in operating it because you need like 10 times more volunteers and, um, um, you know, staff and different people?
1: Yes, you are right. Uh, challenges here because uh, to manage such a large building is not an easy task. Mm-hmm. But uh, we always encourage people, if they have time, they can come to do whatever volunteer service you can. So it's not just restricted to the six we are appealing to the whole community in Hong Kong. Uh, you can come here; you are most welcome. If you like to learn the basic principles of the Sikhism, and this is the place where you can practically do the seva volunteer service. You can come here, serve food. You can come here, do cleaning or any service. You are most welcome.
2: Okay, well, that's great. Thank you very much for uh, speaking to us on the program this morning and explaining that. That was uh, uh, Baljinda Singh who's uh, a member of the Khalsa Diwan uh, Sikh Temple and part of the technical team who was on the building committee. Uh, thank you to uh, all of our guests uh, this morning and uh, all of our listeners. And once again, thanks very much to you, Ada. Thank you, Jim. And we'll see you next time. Uh, a quick look at the weather before we go to the uh, news uh, summary and the brunch with noreen so it's going to be uh, mainly cloudy today with a few showers Uh, bright periods though and a top temperature around 24 degrees moderate to fresh east to northeasterly winds occasionally strong off